Today's job is Memtat, and we actually pick up on the very first word of Memtat. And what we're discussing is the um, significance of the various acts of the Chafina and leading into the putting of the Ketores. So the taking of the of the Ketores from the original container to the hand rest and the putting it into the ladle, and then the conveying of it. Those are three steps. And those three steps, to some degree, parallel three steps by a Minchan, three steps by a normal Korban. Shita, the separating off of the part that's going to be put ritually and the part that's left behind, the catching of the blood in the vessel, so the transferring of the hand rests to the vessel, and then the conveying of the blood to the altar, and here the conveying of it to the Kadshe Kadshe. So the Gemara raised interesting questions about whether you actually have to do a Hafina with your hands, can you use a vessel to do the Hafina? But nevertheless, all of yesterday's staff seemed to treat Hafina as a very significant ritual and um, a necessary ritual, pretty implicit, and used and had various discussions, exactly what's the normal way of doing it. Um, more significantly, the discussions that came up in the Gemara was the issue about, let's say, let's say something spills, from the time of the Chafina till it's put into the vessel. Is that considered to be a problem or not? Is it like blood spills on the ground? Is the hand that is containing the Ketoret like the throat of the animal is what the Gemara says. Very visual. Also the idea of the Ketoret being a machaper and functioning like blood. But also what it's doing is it's underscoring the way in which these are avodot like the avoda of the Dam. Um, and um, the reason that that was a, a, a question um, more than, for example, the issue of the spilling of the comus of the mincha, which is taken for granted, was pointed out by the Tosos Yishanim and by Tosfos that there are two differences. Here, number one, the use of the uh, placing of it in the vessel is not as much of an avoda. That was more necessity as a way of conveyance not as much of an avoda as we saw before. And the actual taking of it from the container of the original Ketoros wasn't doing the exact same thing because it wasn't like leaving behind a part that could not be used the same way separating what goes on the altar from what doesn't go on the altar. It's not the same way that that's true in the case as it is by Shlita. So that raised the question of to what degree are these considered like avodot and have their parallel. Uh, but nevertheless, um, the Gemara... Um, 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 you know, at the end of the day there um, did not actually have a black a conclusion, but then moved on to say that even during the act of Chafina you could have a thought of Pigol, which also seems to say that it's very much <coughs> like Avodah based on that the Ramam says, this act is an act of Avodah so, um, so that finally got us so to the question at the end of yesterday, which is so much thinking about this as an Avoda that not only can we transfer requirements that we know are done by blood to this act of Chafina, but maybe take a leniency by the Chafina and assume that it also applies back to blood. So now the question moves from the Chafina and the placing in the vessel to the conveyance of it into the Kadshe Kadshim, the Holacha. And the Gemara's question is, can Holacha of the blood be done with the left hand? And the evidence is, well, you do the conveyance in the left hand, you should be able to do the halach of blood in the left hand. Um, and that actually was where the Gemara concluded yesterday, that maybe the conveyance of blood could be done with the left hand, just like the con- conveyance of the Ketoros, again, assuming this equation in parallel. So with that, we pick up here now at the top of Menchadamadala. So let's take a look. Maysay, I'll ask you on this, this assertion that you can do halach of blood with the left hand. We have a breaker that says the following. The following four people who are not allowed to do the service, a non-Kohen, an Onen, a Kohen who has an immediate law, uh, a loss of an immediate relative on the day of that loss, 
um, Shikor, a Kohen who is drunk, either discussion of Rashi and Tosos, either through a minimum amount of, of wine or even maybe through other intoxicating beverages, right? Um, and Balmum, a Kohen with a blemish, so there's clear places in the Psukim where all of that is forbidden to do the Avoda, and the Gemara understands and it learns out elsewhere that the same way it's forbidden to do the Avoda, it invalidates the Avoda if, it's, if a Kohen in that state um, does it, or that type of a Kohen does it. So here are the types of Avodas that that Kohen could invalidate. The Kabbalah, catching the blood, Ubehalacha, conveying the blood, Bizrika, and throwing the blood. Pasul is invalid. The only thing it didn't mention is of the four classic avodas is Shrita, because that is Kasher Bazaar. Okay? Now, um, one minute. What? As a czar? Yes. Okay, so maybe right. So that we don't know. We know Shrita's Kasher Bazaar. Is it Kasher Be'onin? Is it Kasher Be'shikor? Presumably it's Kasher Be'balmum if it's Kasher Bazaar. But okay, that we're not here to look at Shrita. Just point out that that's not in the list. But now, okay, but just because if the Kohen has a personal status, a problematic status it invalidates doesn't mean that using the left hand invalidates but then the bright that goes on V'chein Yoshev similarly if he's sitting we know a Kohen has to stand when doing the Avoda V'chein small, and if he uses the left hand so it's an explicit bright that the use of the left hand invalidates not only the Kabbalah not only the Holacha not only the Kabbalah not only the Zika but even the Holacha even the conveyance so Gemara says Tussle all this is invalid Kyufta you're right that's an absolute contradiction to what we said yesterday that you could do the halacha in the, right, in the left hand so now the Gemara says one minute <coughs> yesterday that was the question asked of Sheshif and Rav Sheshif basically tried to argue based on the Ketores that it was good so how could Rav Sheshif not have known of this Braitha we actually know that Rav Sheshif did know of this Braitha so the Gemara says by Rav Sheshif who the Osva Rav Sheshif in another context use this Braita that we just quoted to challenge a different position. So, how could Ratsafis have conclu- said that you can convey in the left hand? Here he, he is a Braita that explicitly you can't. One minute, and we know that Ratsafis knows of this Braita. How do we know Ratsafis knows of this Braita? The Amalei Ratsafis la Amorei Rav said to the Amora of Rav Chizda, an Amora used this way means basically <coughs> the loudspeaker, the announcer, meaning there's, you know, the people we call the Amorayim, which are all the uh, named great rabbis of the Gemara, Ravina, Ravashi, Rav Rava, Baye, and there's the Tanayim, right, Rav Meir, Rav Yehuda, Rav Shimon, that's like what I, I call sometimes capital A Amor and capital T Tana. But then, there's these other functions, which I would call lower AMO or lower Titana, which is the people that actually did a um, assisting type of a job to the Amorim at the time. So Amora used with a, you know, in this context, does not mean the author of these positions. It means somebody that he would take along with them, and basically he would like whisper to him, I'm, you know, before the age of microphones, here was a, here was a great Shabbos microphone before electricity. You would whisper to your Amora, you know, you'd tell your Amora what you needed said, and then he would yell it out to the crowd. Okay, that would be considered an um, my, the Amora, lowercase um, a, a Amora, is the one that would publicize and announce it and yell it to the crowd. Similarly, Akana, although the, here it's let more about memorization and less about um, volume, is Atana would be in the age of, or, of an oral tradition and before publishing in books, in the written word, how would you publish something? Like when we say Rebbe wrote or edited the Mishnah, he did not put pen to paper in the writing of the Mishnah. There was no written Mishnah in the time of Rebbe. What yeah, Rebbe yeah. did was is determine the fixed text based on other fixed texts. A fixed right. text means a fixed oral text. 
okay, based on other six oral traditions. And then he, after he fixed the text, he'd call in a group of of, of Tanayim, memorizers, and Tanah repeaters, right, where Tanah is to repeat, repeaters, he'd take them all in, he'd say, here's the text, and he'd give it to them verbally, and they would repeat, and they would memorize it. And then, he would send them out to all the different cities and towns, and they would teach it over exactly word for word, and that's how you would, it was not written. That, when was it written? Probably, we don't know exactly when the earliest writings were probably at, in the beginning of the Gaonic period, although there's arguments about different pieces of Tanahitic material that might have been earlier, like the Sifra, like the Sifra and the Megillah, whatever. Anyway, so a Tana would be a repeater, a memorizer and a repeater. As Saul Lieberman said, you wanted one with a great memory and very little creativity, because you don't want them inserting their own cells in it. And an Amor also from the word, like Amor would be somebody who would say over, but here not to memorize, but here to announce. So that's what an Amor is. Back to our Gemara. So, now, um, the Amore Rav Sheshes la Amore Rav Chizda. So Rav Sheshes said to the Amora of Rav Chizda, Rav Chizda, so this Amora didn't necessarily, wasn't a Tam Chacham, but he had good access to Rav Chizda. So he said, next time you see Rav Chizda, ask him the following question. Holacha bizarre mahu. What's the story about whether a non-Kohen can do the Holacha? Okay? Is it acceptable? The same way a non-Kohen to do the Shkita, maybe he could do the Holacha, especially since, as I said, that I've told, I said yesterday, Holacha is considered a Malacha She'efsha Levatla. It's a type of a Malacha that in theory you don't have to have, because if you do the Shkita right near the Mizbeah. So he wanted to know, the same way we discussed yesterday, Holacha Bismol, he wanted to have the, this question asked Rav Chizda. Can you have the conveyance done by a non-Kohen? Amalei, so he said back to him, Presumably, without asking Rav Chizda, um, he maybe said back to him immediately. Sheira, no, or it's not clear. Maybe he said back to him after asking Rav Chizda. Anyway, it's kosher. Umikra misayeni. I have a pasuk that supports me that a non-zar can do the a non-kohen can do the halacha. Because what does it say in Divrei Yamin? Vayishritu haPesach. They, the, the, the owners, slaughtered the Pesach. Vayizritu haKonin miyadam. The Konin threw the blood from their, their hands, the hands of the owner. Vayalavim makshikim, and the Levim would flay the animals. So, if they would, if they would throw the blood from the hands of the owners, meaning the owners, not literally hands, but meaning right. they're holding the vessels that right. held the they blood. The so they did the halacha because now you are standing near the altar, you're throwing the blood with the vessel. Who's handing it to you? The owner. Of course, it's also a little bit funny because you need a Kohen to do the Kabbalah. That's not the David. Right, so the owner does the Shrita, the Kohen does the Kabbalah, gives it back to the owner, presumably. The owner then brings it to the other Kohen and the Kohen throws it. So you see that the, Goha, the, 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 the Tsar is doing the Halacha. Okay, so that's what the Amora said back, either after having asked Rav Sheshes or Rav Chizor even without asking him. Umosi Rav Sheshes, Rav Sheshes then challenged him and said, how could you say that? We used to have a brighter that says, all the people we mentioned before, a non-Kohen, a mourner, whatever, the first day of the morning, uh, a drunk and somebody with uh, a blemish, all those people cannot do either the Kabbalah, casting the blood, the conveyance, or the throwing. Similarly, one who sits in the left hand. So now here the focus is not left hand, the focus is Zar, a non-Kohen, cannot do the Halacha. So how could you claim that he could be good? So, of course, the question is, Rav says, if you knew this bright, though, why'd you bother asking the question? But maybe he, maybe he knew that either Rav Chizda or Rav Chizda Zamora was teaching otherwise. 
and therefore he wanted to set him straight. So he said, how could you be saying a czar can do the halacha based on this pasuk if we have a bright that says a czar cannot do the halacha? So one minute, we'll finish that story in a minute, but for our immediate question, the issue is, so look, Rakshayshas knew this brighter that says that a czar cannot do the halacha, and the same brighter says that you cannot do the halacha with the left hand. So how yesterday did Rakshayshas say you could do the halacha with the left hand? Based on what you did by the Torah, here's a brighter that he clearly knows that says you can't do the halacha with the left hand. So what's the answer? Mar says, it's, what's the order of which these things happened? Basra Deshama, Hadar Osva. Okay, after he, after he heard this right, that meaning the order was, first he thought that you could do Holacha with the left hand. He was challenged by a brighter that says you could not do the Holacha with the left hand. So then he learned that brighter. Now he learns that there's a bright out there that says you can't do Holacha with the left, and a czar can't do Holacha. Now that he knows that brighter, he used, at a later stage, he used that brighter to challenge, you know, Rav Chizda, who said you could do halacha with a non-Kohen. Uh, and, that's how, and that's the order of this. So what have we concluded here? We concluded that ye- yesterday Rav Shesha said you could do the halacha with the left based on the Ketorah. But today began by saying a bright explicitly said halacha could not be done with the left. And therefore the Gemara said, fine, Rav Shesha was wrong. We reject that idea you could not do halacha with the left hand. How did Rosheshus make that mistake? Doesn't Rosheshus know this brighter? Because the same brighter says no holacha with the with the left. Also says no holacha with the non kohen. And Rosheshus knew that brighter and used that brighter to challenge, you know, Rav Chizda Zamora. So the answer is yeah. Once he was cha- once he himself was challenged with that brighter, he now knows that brighter and is able to turn around and challenge somebody else. And the conclusion is, although holacha in theory is not as significant, it's just getting it there, and it could sometimes be done without. Nevertheless, when you are doing it, it's invalid, whether it's left-hand and invalid, whether it is a non-Kohen. Now, one second, Dove has a question, and then we'll get to Michael, but before that, the question should be, okay, so I get it, you got a brighter. but what about the argument we made yesterday? What about the argument that if you could do the Ketoros Holacha with the left, you should be able to do the Holacha of the blood with the left? You're still doing the, the Ketoros with the left. Why is that different? Well, so this goes, like, this goes to the point I've been telling you all along, and this is pointed out very briefly in the Tosus Yishanim, so if you take a look, at the um here on the bottom of the page here with the first line in the middle why how about the fact that you would do it by the Torah that's different there's no alternative because you have to have one thing in your right and one thing in your left you need two hands and I would also say because if the involves the left so you see already the left hand is being validated for some of these things by the Torah. The Karina Lanami Yomikibur. And in another Gemara it says that the left hand was a special exception by Yom Kippur. So fine. Now of course you could have said not only was it at Loefshar, but you could have said, going back to the larger theme, that these things of Yom Kippur do not exactly parallel the Avodas you would do by the Dam. As we said, you know, yesterday, at the beginning of today, the chafina is not exactly the same as the shrita. The putting in a vessel is not exactly the same as the casting of the blood. So maybe the holoch is also not the same. But anyway, so there's two I points of possible difference. But we were questioning it. Okay? In one way we said it's parallel. You could have a thought of pigo. In one way we said maybe not. Maybe if you spill it, it's not a problem. So I'm just saying there are two thick questions to raise here. One is the ongoing theme of to what degree are these things done by the Chavina exactly the same types of things that were done by the blood with the same laws. 
And the other issue is, even if as a general rule they are, which is still debated, then maybe there's nevertheless going to be an exception, because here you had to use the left hand, you did not have an alternative. So you had a question. I want to know if you have anything to say about the structure of the bright independent of the way in which it's being used here. What I mean is, Okay, good. I know it's not totally unusual, but why it's like an appendix? It's like a well, pendant. I would say, first of all, the first four things are basically statuses of the person, meaning what you are, begavra, as opposed to the next part, which is, which is, you know, you are okay as a person allowed to do the avoda, but the way you're doing it, the way you're doing it is incorrect. Right. There's also, going back to the whole issue of an oral tradition, thank you, sometimes the way things are easy to memorize, Zarva owning Shikra Bamum, the Kabbalah, right, the Kabbalah, Bizrika, like there's like, like, you know, it's like a four and a three, there's a certain right. rhythm, as opposed to if you made a list of six and then three, it would have lost. So, that. so really that structure reveals, reveals a lot about the poetic nature of the way in which these two Right, but there also is a logic to that categor- categorizing, yes. My question is, so can we infer from that that let's say, oh, okay, so Zar wanted to go make even an arrow, that's okay? I mean, like, um, what? Why? Well, first of all, possibly you might have remembered that there was a Gemara we did much before that said that the Lucas Neris isn't an Avoda, and actually did raise the question right. about Azar. So this, so this, this I don't know. That's always or a question. Or on the Kevesh? Well, that's okay. also the issue of Vichizar Karevito and Mizbeach. Okay? But again, also there's a different question about whether you're allowed to and whether it would invalidate. So this is just saying what things invalidate. That's a different question about what would be allowed or not allowed. No, okay. I mean, I All right. I don't know. So you have to ask. Can't even be in the environment. Well, certain environments, yes, certain. No. Anyway, look. You have to look at each thing individually. You're right. You can't assume the whole story. Okay. You do have to explore those other issues. So now let's get back to the Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Um, okay. So that's why now we know. Azar and use of the left hand cannot be good by halacha. Whatever happens by victorious with halacha is a special exception. But now we've got an issue. You, you quoted a brighter, but what about the pasuk? So the Gemara says, So now the Gemara assumes that when the Amora said it back, he actually checked with Rav Chizda, that this was Rav Chizda's initial position, that you could use your left hand, so, excuse me, that you could do it with a czar. So it's very nice you have a brighter, but, but Rav Chizda had this puzzle that in Divrei Yomim that said that the Kohanim was throwing from the hands of the czar. So it sounds like the czar did the carrying. So the Gemara says, no, the Ovid Maisa Itztaba. He was just acting as a pedestal. What does that mean? It means that the czar was holding the vessel and the coin was taking it from the hands and doing the zrika. But it doesn't mean the czar conveyed it. It means the, the czar shefted it, the coin caught the blood, the coin conveyed it, handed it to the czar, the czar just put out his hands like this and just basically acted completely as a pedestal without doing, if you would, an act. It's completely passive, right? And therefore, it's not like the czar did an act and an avoda. He just was placed on the czar. The czar was almost inanimate in the way in the way he was functioning. Um, okay, this, by the way, interestingly, comes up in a number of we've shown him in the first Mishnah in um, Shabbos 
where people remember the first mission shop as it talks about you know the poor person standing out in the street and the owner on the, in the house and handing the bread out to the poor person and when are they both doing an act of carrying or you know or, or only one of them is doing it and one case is like the owner takes the bread or let's say the poor person takes the bread from the hands of the owner and in that case the poor person did the entire malacha he took the from inside the house and brought it out but the question the Rishonim asked is you know that the man makes it sound like the owner did nothing wrong so the Rishonim said why did the owner do nothing wrong why isn't that like why isn't that like Lif Iver? why isn't he at least being a Misayeya he's at least participating in it and they basically use this phrase no it's my it's the ba. he is completely just being completely passive not actually doing any action he's acting like an inanimate object and in that case, you can't sort of attach any blame to it. Of course, you could have said he could have stopped it, but okay. Let's back to the Gemara. Boy, Rav Yes. The difference in those two things is, um, in the case of Shabbos, we're investigating the parameters of a, of a malacha. Right. We're trying to work that out. But here, it seems like we're, I mean, well, the difference it's is there. It's a question of, of, of fault in what was done, and you could have at least intervened, right? Well, Whereas here, it's kind of strange credulity that this is really what you know, what, what the Torah had in mind where it says Zark and participated. Well, it wasn't the Torah was Divrei Yamin, but okay, right, right. I mean, that's always the fact of stretching psukim to make them work, right? Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, it's, it's really short. Like I, I spent a long time teaching that Mishnah to eighth graders. Yeah, okay. got stuck. No, no, they got stuck on this one moment and there's a girl in the group and the guys were all contending like he just stood there he didn't do right. anything he just stood there so the girl the girl went like this he said put something in the guy's hand right. he said okay hold that thing now I'm going to take it from you so she takes the thing and the guy goes like guy goes like that right. she says you see you cannot station it. It's not possible. You have to move even a little bit. Right. They went crazy. The guys went crazy. And she stood her ground. It was like a magnificent That's great. That's great. What do you mean? Very right. passive. A human being can't be completely passive. Right, she right. got it. Totally got That's great. Okay. So now, by Rav Papa, we see that Rav Papa has a whole list of questions about the Chafina and what are its parameters. So let's take a new one. By Rav Papa, so until now, a lot of been have been to what to be parallels, like we said, the Kmitza and Shechita. Now we're going to do something else. By Rav Papa, Rav Papa asks, So remember, we asked the other day whether you needed to do the Chafina or could you do it with a Kli. But presumably you needed to do the act of chafina. So now he says, does it have to be the same person? Let's say one person does the chafina and puts it into the hands of the coin gadol. So maybe, does it have to be the same person? Do you need a coin gadol to do the chafina? Maybe somebody else could do the chafina? Because remember it says, V'lakach meloa machta, it says, V'lakach meloa eish, he will take melo chafnav, but it doesn't say that he does the chafina. So he just takes Meloch Hafnav. So somebody else does the Hafnav, even if you need it, maybe, well, to do the act of Hafnav. As long as the other person has bigger hands, it's not a problem. Then it, it'll fill up his hands. So maybe somebody else does the Hafnav and pours it into his hands. So, okay. Now his hands are full. And it, an act of it was done with hands, as opposed to before when we asked about doing it with a vessel. Oh, the Oma Velakach Vehenibin, and the act Velakach goes on, uh, uh, goes on the Melochafnav as well. And he has to do the act himself of the taking. A, it has to either be the same person that does the Lakach and the Hevi, or B, at least it has to be a Kohen Gogo. So let's take a look. 
So we don't know the answer. Now, the difference between whether it's a question of the same person or whether it's a question of needing a coin Gadol would be the following scenario, which the Gemara is going to get to. A coin Gadol does it and then drops dead. Before, <laughs> and now another Kohen comes and takes it out of this dead Kohen's hand. Out of my dead hand! You know? <laughs> Try it anyway. So then it was done by a Kohen Gadol, but it wasn't done by the same Kohen Gadol. What would be the story? Yeah, so yeah. anyway, here it seems like the issue is not Kohen Gadol, it's the issue of the same person. So let's just take a little bit more in the Gemara. So by Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, so Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi asks, Now, in this case, he did the Chafina, the Kohen Gadol, and then he died. Can another person use his chafina? So again, it's not the same person. It is a coin god on both stages, but it's not the same. What's the story? Just like the previous question. I'm Rabbi Hanina, so said Rabbi Hanina, look at, look at the question that the early ones asked, meaning presumably Rabbi Yoshoban Levi was an older, um, of the earlier generation, and he basically was saying, look, you know, we were asking similar questions, and here it was even asked by the earlier generation, by Rabbi Yoshoban Levi. So before the Gemara gets to the answer, it has a whole digression, who is older here? So let's take a look. So the Gemara says, so now we're on... Um, yeah, you know, you, right, you're right. Okay, 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 you are absolutely right. I was making it too graphic. He had to have taken the chafina, put it into the kaf, and then dropped dead. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so that's what he had to do, right. He did not take it out of his dead hands, fine. He did the chafina, he did the chafina. In one scenario, if it wasn't dropping dead, one coin could do the chafina and pour it into the coin guzzle's hands. But in this case, with the coin guzzle at both stages, the coin guzzle does it, pours it into the kaf, drops dead, and the next one takes it out of the kaf. Wear it. Let's read, let us, shh, let's see, get a little further, then you can have your questions. Okay, so, Okay, so the Gemara says, first of all, this suggests, since he said, oh wow, look at this great question, even the, you know, the older generation, the early generation asked, it sounds like Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is older. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, he did Rabbi Hanina, so now, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, who we think is the older of the two, said Rabbi Hanina, who we think is the younger of the two, Rabbi Hanina allowed me to drink Shachlayim on Shabbos. Now, what is Shachlayim? Um, what's your English going to say? Something like cress or something? What is your, yeah. Yeah. Cress juice. Cress juice, fine. So the Gemara says, so now, before we answer this question, that the fact that he said Rabbi Hanina allowed me suggests that Rabbi Hanina is the older authority, the more, author- you know, the, 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 the greater one, we have, now we're going to digress about the question about cress juice on Shabbos. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says, Lishtot, Pshita, just to drink it, of course you can drink it. Nah, we taught in the Mishnah, anything that is a food, you can eat, even though your purpose of eating it is for, is for medicinal or health purposes. There's an issue of taking something that's clearly a medicine, but something that's a food, and you're eating it because it's, 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 it's important for your health, that's fine. And a person can drink anything for refuel purposes if it's basically not a medicine. So presumably if healthy people would drink cress juice, of course you can drink it. So, Ella, no, the question is not, can I drink it? The question was, can I grind it and drink it? Can you do that? So, the says, hey, Kidami, what's the scenario? If there's some type of a life danger, of course it's allowed. If there's no life danger, of course it's forbidden. We're not learning the second job, it's exactly what's the issue of grinding, but whatever, something. Okay, of course it's forbidden. So, the says, no, there is a danger. 
This was his question. Is this thing really helpful? Does this, is really just a Baba Maisa? Or does Quest just really provide healing? So that we could be Machal Shabbos in order to make it. Or maybe it really is, not, you know, is of no medicinal value. And we cannot be Machal Shabbos. And he said, Rabbi Hanina allowed me. Now, the Gemara says, Rebbe Hanina. So why did he go to Rebbe Hanina to ask this question? Mishum to Bucky Because Rebbe Hanina knew medicine. How do we know Rebbe Hanina knew medicine? This is like one digression after another. To honor Rebbe Hanina, because Rebbe Hanina said, May Olam lo shalani adam amakas pray to Levana Nobody ever asked me about being uh, bitten by, smitten literally, but bitten by a, um, a white mule and survived. So if people are asking him medical questions, and he said, I was never, sh- you know, I never had a patient come to me who had been bitten by a white mule and survived. Obviously, he gets a lot of patients coming to him. He's a doctor. He knows medicine. What? <laughs> well, now the Gemara now asks that. Think about all the digressions. Was he really older? I'm going to show you this whole discussion. One minute. How? What's the question about Shabbos? Okay. And why do you ask him? Because he's a doctor. Wait a minute. Is that really true? That's the thing about the white mule? We actually see that people actually do survive to being bitten by a white mule. No. Ema v'chayis. No. It means that the, that the wound never fully healed. The person might have survived, but the wound didn't heal. But we do see those wounds here. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. The cases we're talking about, about the particularly infectious wounds or whatever, unhealing wounds is when the, is when the mule is actually uh, red, but it has white legs. Anyway, now that we figured out the question, good. Now that we figured out the question about crest juice, and now that we figured out about the evidence that he was a doctor and what the story is with white mules, we're back to the issue that you see that Rabbi Hanina was the elder. Now, how do you see that? After we've done this wonderful demonstration that the reason he asked Rabbi Hanina was because Rabbi Hanina was a doctor, he wasn't asking him because he was the wiser sage. He wanted to know in order to pass in a Shabbos Shiloh, he had to have the right medical information. So he, he was younger. So, so he asked the doctor. So how do you see that he was older? So Rashi says, you know, the whole evidence that he was older was that he used the word Rebbe. Because if Rebbe ah. Hanina had been younger, of course you would have asked him. He's the doctor. But we said Mikan Hiterli Hanina, not Rebbe Hanina. So it's the use of the word Rebbe. Rashi says, yes. What? Right. But the point is, the operation was all right. The point was was that the only people that patient people go to ask about medical conditions are doctors. I know. Yeah, it is a little funny. Okay. So Mikomakom, okay, Shmamina Mikomakum Shmamina Rebbi Hanina Kashish. You see Rebbi Hanina was the elder one. So what is Rebbi Hanina saying? Oh, look at this great question from of the early generation. What do you mean the early generation? He's the older one. So this is what he means when Rabbi Yeshua, who was Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, asked this question. Not that it was the question of an early generation. Here's what he's saying: Shalton, you, Rebbe Yeshua ben Levi, have asked us shall we show him the type of questions that the early generation had asked. Meaning, not that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was the early generation when Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi asked the question. Rabbi Hanina said to him, "That generation question that you're asking had been asked already in the earlier generation." Fine. So that solved that whole question of who was earlier. Back to the point that when Yeshua ben Levi was asking about one calling Gadol does the Chafina, then he dies, as was pointed out. It was put into the 
to, into the uh, ladle, can the other coin gadol finish with the chafina of the first one? Does the what same person have to do the chafina that is taking it inside? So let's see what the answer is. I'll take. I know some people had some questions, but I want to get to the answer, and then we go back. So the mercy is like this: Now. Again, we're not even, we're not, we're still avoiding getting to the answer. How could Rebbe Hanina have thought that this was a legitimate question? Why would it not have been a legitimate question? Vama Rebbe Hanina, because Rebbe Hanina says, Bipar below Bidomo Shapar. The Pesach says, Bizos Yavo Aharon El HaKodesh, Bipar Ben Bakar Lechatas, with the cow. And he's not actually going into the sanctuary with the cow. He's going with the blood of the cow. So why does the Torah refer to it as Bipar? So what Rebbe so Hanina says is that papar means that the blood of the cow, he has to have taken from the cow itself. Can't be somebody else took the blood from the cow. What does that mean? Kohen Gadol number one, the, I mean the only one at the time, shechs the cow and the blood is caught. Then he drops dead. Enter in Kohen Gadol number two. Can he pick up where Kohen Gadol number one left off? Can he start with the blood of the cow? Or does he have to start with the cow itself? That's the question. According to the Drasha that says, Bipar he can pick up where the first guy left off. According to Rabbi Hanina, who says, Bipar no, you've got to start with the cow, you've got to go back all the way to the beginning and shech the cow and do it all again. Now, consider now what our scenario is. Because that is our scenario. Right? Remember what happened. We had, we had par, yeah, this will be a good opportunity to do a quick, a quick repeat. Okay, we have Par and Vidui number one. Okay, then we have the, the Irim, right, with the Lot. Okay, right, then we have Par and Vidui number two. Right, then we have the Shrita, the Kabbalah. Right, somebody is stirring it. Right, then we have the Gechalim from the Mithaeah. Then we have the Chafina, and that's sort of where we're up to, and then into the Kaf. Okay, that's sort of where we're up to, right? And our question is, this guy does the chafina and drops dead, can another Kohen pick up here with the, and, and, do the, and, and, and take the chafina and continue? Okay, but what happened? You have the blood of the par, and you are also going to have another Kohen picking up with the blood of the par. The blood hasn't been thrown yet. The chafina is parallel to the street. Not parallel, no parallel. If the Kohen drops dead yeah. here, not only do you have to pick up to do the Kitarat, you're going to have to finish the blood of the par. This hasn't been thrown yet. Ah, okay. So if so you say the par below the par, once the coin dropped dead, you're going to have to go all the way back here. Right? And if you go back here, you're going to have to do everything again. So you have to do it in order. You have to do everything in order. Is the assumption. What about okay. Bado? If you said the par, you care about Bado. So if he's taking the par that another coin did, it's not Bado anymore. All right. So that could be part of the argument, okay? So you're saying the, you're focusing on the Vidoy. As we pointed out before, the Vidoy is a very heightened focus for us. For the in the question about the avoda, it was not. There was opinions that the vidui isn't ma'akeh. Okay, okay. all right. But then this is avoda. Anyway, so the point is, is that how can you ask whether you could continue with the chafina if you're of the Rebbe Hanina position? If it's Rebbe Hanina, you gotta go all the way back to the beginning. So it's not even a question. It's a moot point. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says. Um, Okay, so uh, 
Now, maybe you'll say, oh, but, you know, it doesn't matter if you do the order different. Maybe you can do the Shechita after the Ketoros. No! We know he says also that the order matters. That if you did the Ketoros before you shechted the par, loss of a low it's invalid. So since he says you have to go all the way back and shech the par again, and he says you can't do the Ketoros before the par, you'd have to do the Ketoros again. So it's a moot question. Of course you got to do it again, because you got to go all the way back to the beginning. So he says, no, Hachi Kamar, this is the question. What Rabbi Hanina is saying to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi is the following. Since you're asking this question of the coin guzzle dropping dead after the Khafina, you obviously, you Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, will ask the question, are obviously assuming that you don't have to go back to do the Shkita. You could continue with the blood. And since you could continue with the blood, you want to know what the story is with the Ketoreth. So my according to your assumptions that you can continue from that point on with the blood, she and your question was likely early question that earlier ones asked. So meaning me personally, I think this is a moot question. As soon as you drop that the coin got so you gotta go back to the beginning. But for you that you think that you could continue with the blood, then that question you asked is a good question. Can you also continue with Sikhtoas? It's like the earlier question. Now the earlier question nobody was dropping dead, so you didn't have this problem. The earlier question was just one person comes and does the Khafina, maybe a non coin gadol, and pours it into the hand of the coin gadol. Your question about the coin gadol dropping dead is very similar. Of course it only makes sense if you can continue here and you don't have to worry about going back and doing the par again. But assuming the blood isn't the problem, your question of dropping dead is a similar to that other question, can you, one throwing, continue with a chafina done by somebody else? I don't, I, don't see how, I don't see how it's different than the first question. Well, the only difference is, is that you might say it doesn't have to be the same person, but it has to be a coin guzzle. Right, okay. No, as you said before, there are certain things that don't need a coin guzzle. Like the drawing of the lots doesn't need a coin guzzle, the shechita of the par might not need a coin guzzle. One of the themes all along is which of the components are not considered avoda per se that might not need a coin guzzle. So the, the first question raised the issue of which we've sort of been dealing with all of yesterday is the chafina an avoda, right? Can you have a machshevis pigul or something? So that would raise the question could it be a non-coin guzzle? Here, this question is a little sharper. Let's even assume it is a coin guzzle. Can it be a different person? What if he drops dead? Now that's only, you're only able to ask it Assuming in terms of the blood, you don't have to go back to the beginning. But assuming you don't have to go back, now we focus on this issue. Forget the coin guzzle. It's coin guzzle both parts. But does it have to be the same person? Okay, so now we've got to the question. Let's see what the answer is. Let's take a look. So my Havila. So you had a whole long discussion of who was older and doctors and the blood and all that. But okay, what about this question? Does it have to be the same person? What was the conclusion? So I'm a Rev Papa, says Rev Papa. If you, the person who, once you've done the chafina, you do it a second time in the kachim kachim, then somebody else can use the previous kohen gadol's. Why? Because you'll wind up doing the chafina anyway. Meaning, we have been focusing, hyper-focusing on the chafina that's done, you know, in preparation, outside the heichal, you know, scooping it up, putting it into the, what do you call it, putting it into the, uh, the ladle. What happens when you get into the kachet kachet? So, uh, I mean, if people have learned this before, and we're going to quote it right in a minute, that's going to be very clear, you pour the label back into your hands, and you do another chafin, and then you release it. Okay, but the Gemara now is considering that that might not be the case. 
maybe you take it straight from the ladle this would make your life a lot easier and just pour it straight over over the fire you don't put it back in your hands you did the chafina earlier it's melo chafnav you have the chafina and now you're pouring it you're pouring it through a vessel who needs to pour it from your hands so this is the question whether chofein v'chozer v'chofein you did the chafina on the outside do you have to do it again on the inside or can you go straight from the vessel so now, the Gemara says like this, let's take a look. If you say, let's read it again, if you have to do it again in the Kachay Kachim, then, you can, the second guy can use the Chafina of the first dead guy. Why? Because the second guy will also do a Chafina. So, we're assuming you need to do a Chafina, and the same Kohen has to do the Chafina, but maybe any Chafina works. It doesn't have to be the one outside. Maybe the one on the inside will be the one that counts, and that'll be fine. Uh, if you don't do it a second time, you pour it straight from the ladle, then that's a good question, because then you personally are not doing your own Chafina. Somebody else did it, for, somebody else did it the dead Kohen. And then that's the question about can you use one if you are not going to do it? But if you're going to do it again, of course you could do it. If you're, if you're not the one who did a hafina, can right. you then pick up and complete Exactly. The exactly. So that's what he thinks the answer is. So Amalei Rav Huna Rav Yoshua Rav Papa so Rav Huna said back to Rav Papa Adaraba I would have said the exact opposite based on this question If you did it on the outside you have to go ahead and do it back again on the inside You can't use the other guys Why not? Michael here you should be very happy It's impossible it will be the exact same size of the chafina. Mm-hmm. So even if there's more, right, and you can get everything into your hands, but it's not the same chafina. So if, if both things are part of the avoda, then and how can you, then they have to be the same. This malochafnav is not the same as this, this that chafina is not the same as this chafina. It shouldn't be good. The ain chofein chazer v'chofein. However, if you don't have to do it again, then it's a legitimate question. I don't have to make it my chafina. It was the dead guy's chafina. Fine, but it was his chafina, and it's still a malochosnav. His malochosnav. Then we should raise the issue. Okay, it's still a little bit funny because I am now putting on the pouring the incense, and it's not my malochosnav. It was a different person's malochosnav. But that's the question: Can you stitch the two halves together? When it was taken, it was the malochosnav of the coin gadol. Now I'm a different coin gadol, but I could still maybe use his. Okay, so if you're using the old thing, it's a little funny. It's not yours, but that's the question. Does it? Have to, be yours. have to be yours. Does it have to be yours? Maybe it could be what somebody else did. Okay, but if it's chofen because of a chofen, then there has to be a continuity. It has to be the same chofnov, and they have to match. So that's what he says. He says I would have said the exact opposite in terms of which way is more obvious. Okay, it's as if the avodah of of lends meaning to the katoris or lends meaning to the human being who's doing the action. Um. Okay, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I'm not sure I agree, but I see, but I hear the point. Okay, so the Gemara says, and now we don't have any answers. Though we don't know about Chofein V'chozer Chofein. That's left as an unanswered question. And now we move into this question about do you have to do another Chafina? I'm sorry. What's an unanswered question, excuse me, is whether you can use another person's Chafina, whether the other person is a Kohen Gadol or not a Kohen Gadol, can another person do the initial Chafina? But now we don't answer that and we move into Chofein V'chozer Chofein. Okay, that the question was raised. If you do the first kafina, once you do the first kafina, do you have to do another one or not? 
So Tash Makam in here, and you might know, recognize this because this is exactly what we said a few dapim ago. We tried to prove it from the Mishnah. It speaks about taking the Chafina, and then after it says about the big one and the small coin, according to their size of their hands, this was its measure. What's the point of those extra three words? This was its measure. So my love, what this must mean is, it must mean that the same way you did the measuring in the Chafina on the outside of the, of the Heichal, you did it again on the inside. Those extra words mean you did another Chafina once you got into the Kachay Kachay. One says, no, no, that's not necessarily what it means. Dilma, maybe what that phrase means is, we raise that question. Maybe you don't have to do the chafina with your hands. Maybe you can scoop it out with a pre-measured vessel. Maybe you don't have to use your hands in the scooping. Inami, or maybe what that phrase means is, that it has to be precisely that size. cannot be any bit over, any bit under. So that phrase can mean a lot of things. Okay, so let's try again. Tashma coming here. And again, we get thanked by a large toast vote. Kachma. Ketzadu Oseh. This is a very explicit write of what you do when you're in the Kachi Kachim. What do you do? Ohez es a Now, the kaf, what was called the kaf, the ladle is now called the bazeh, but it's similar. Some type of a long, a vessel with a long arm that is containing the incense. So you hold it, berosh et otav, either using the tips of your finger, yesh amin b'shinah, some say your teeth, again it's quite funny because the before spoke about how the use of your teeth is inappropriate, but you know, Tosafir said, okay, but sometimes you've got to do it, you don't have alternatives. Umala de low, and you pull it up until your thumbs, or with your thumbs, until it gets to between your elbows, which basically means, what does it mean? It means, I should have brought, I should have brought a, uh, an example, but let's say, what? Um, yeah, I don't know about throwing this here. Let's say this is the arm of the, um, I've got a ladle, this is the arm, and there's the uh, head of the ladle. So I'm having this in this hand. Okay, I put down my, the, the uh, coals. Now, I, got, I could pour it all into one hand, but I've got to pour it into two hands. How do I pour it into two hands? So what I do is I like use my, my my fingers and my thumbs or whatever to move and to move it so that now it's sort of being held like this. Okay, it's held underneath my arm. And now I use if it's got a long it's got a long arm and the head of it, the spoon part of it gets it reaches from under my arm to where my hands are, right? So now then I can somehow twist it. I don't know exactly how. Not uh, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Okay. Anyway, somehow I do it. Okay. And somehow using your underarms or your elbows or your teeth, you get it all into your hands. The tzobra and then you, then, you, um, then you mound it up. You put it in a mound on the coals. So first, the first opinion is you put the whole thing as one unit as a mound on so it takes time for the smoke to arise. Time maybe for you to leave before the smoke, before the smoke arises uh, up. Um, and some say no, you scatter it on the coals. So the smoke should rise up very quickly. That's already a very fascinating question. Right? It's the degree that the, uh, that the burning of the incense to some degree evokes or allows for this sense of this encounter with God it's, raised, it's like the interesting question Rabbi Dov in the yeshiva on the last day was talking about the debate in the, in the, uh, in the Midrash about whether Moshe did the right thing or the wrong thing by, um, by averting his gaze you know at the burning bush so here you are you're finally there in the Kutche Kutchim in the most intimate moment 
are you now going to sort of like put it on and run out before actually the smoke goes out before because you can't actually you know be there for that real full encounter you will set it up but then you have to leave you're not able to fully be there for the encounter or no you actually want once you're there you've done all the preparations you want that smoke to go up right away you want to be present when that is happening so I think that's already a very fascinating debate there but that's actually not our focus but right there that's very fascinating those two opinions and what the various symbolisms might mean but what well, it's also right. Smoke. What? And also smoke. Well, it's a <laughs> smoke is, I think, the whole idea. I mean, you could argue the other way. You could argue that by making the smoke go up, it's, a, it's making it a less intimate encounter. By not having the smoke, you're there without right, the smoke. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I somehow see the Kiba Anana Ereela Kaporef, which does mean the Anana Kavod, not the Anana of the Ketoros, which is how the Tzadukim read it, but still see that there's some, you know, linkage there. But yes, uh, anyway, we could, so I think we could talk about that, about what the various symbolisms yeah, could be about that. Let's first see what the Gemara is doing with this. Today, say, This was the hardest vote in the Mikdash. So again, whenever the Gemara says that, there's the reaction. What? This is the only hard one? The, the uh, cutting of the neck from behind with the thumbnail. What we talked before about the smoothing of the Mincha when it's this hard thing in your hand. This is one of the hardest of us. Nevertheless, what do you see? The whole thing was describing how you get it from the ladle back into your hands. How you do a chafina a second time. It would be so much easier if you could just pour from the ladle straight on the fire. But you don't do that. You see pretty explicitly, you've got to do another chafina when you're in the kashe kachim and you have to release it from your hands. Shmamina that we see. Okay, so that then what? Yeah, I don't know. Right, we didn't prove it from Basak. Somehow it's from the tradition. You're right. We don't know. It's assumed that Malo Chofnav means the Malo Chofnav coming from the Chofnav is going on, but it's not exactly clear. So we know that you do another Chafina, and therefore it raises the question whether it has to be your Chafina that you're using, or somebody else could have done the Chafina and given it to you, or dropped dead, and then you would have taken it over. Yes. On the floor, right? Right. Well, that might be. Um, well, I don't. Want to sprinkle it so well, that might. You mean according to the opinion that it's sober, you dump it down. Right. I don't know how, you know, the relative size, although the Gemara did say sometimes the chafina could be as big as the quantity of the coals. I don't know. For people that have worked on a grill, which not be me living in an apartment, you know, the, you will know better than I. <laughs> a lot yeah. of dirt to yeah. put out of fire and hot coals. Yeah, I mean, this is a hand breath, and the other was like three cobs. Yeah, depending on how hot you they are. Although I will hot say hot. that 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 Tosa says one of the aspects that made it a votus kasha, or maybe it was Rashi, says ha- that you have to put it down without getting burnt yourself. When you release something on a fire and all the hot smoke comes up, you know you could get burnt. So that's also part of the challenge. So they, I mean, the trust doesn't have to be burnt. That's sort of the idea is to get the smoke. Right. It has to produce the smoke. Yeah, I mean, if the fire goes out right away, it won't be enough to create. Yeah, it's not going to complete. All right, all right. Let's take a look. Now the Gemara continues. Okay, so that's the chofen because of the chofen. So Ibailu. Now that we're raised, now we go back to the other question we raised. Shachat umeis. 
he shafted the par going back to that and then he died so this was the issue we raised before can you pick up with the blood or do you have to be have, be, have started with the live cow and give the Kabbalah too presumably yeah 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 Mao. Can somebody else pick up with the blood uh, after the blood was caught? But so you have to, the, the, the blood will have to start with the live par. Maybe it says with the cow, that doesn't exclude the blood. It says, Varun comes into the Kodesh with the par, it means with the blood that represents the cow. You don't have to start with the live cow. No, it says the cow to mean you, the coin gadol, has to start with the live one. If another coin gadol started with the live one, you can't pick up if it's dead. So now it's a whole big debate. Rabbi Hanina Omer, as we saw a minute ago, Rabbi Hanina says you have to start with the cow, and therefore if you drop dead, like with the Torah, he said you got to go back to the beginning. If you drop dead before the blood is done, you got to go back to the beginning, the next going. No, if the going other goes up, that another one can pick up with the blood. You don't have to start with the cow. Now that's also debated between the other two Amorites. The Biyami Amor Bepar Velo Bedama Shapar. You have to the coin gadol has to start with the live cow. The Yitzchak Amor Bepar Velo Bedama Shapar. No, the cow and even if the cow is dead, the blood counts just as well. Okay, so we have a whole big debate. I don't understand. How the, I don't understand how this is possible. This I don't understand. What's impossible? Somebody no, no, here is doing the stirring. He did the shkita. He did the kabbalah. Somebody is doing the stirring. Yeah, yeah. That's what Michael asked. He did the kabbalah. Somebody is stirring. That was my problem. Right. Somebody is stirring, and then he drops dead. Meanwhile, okay. all these scenarios, I hope the guy who's doing all this stirring has a strong like forearm. Okay. Ami said that it has to be the cow itself. You have to start with the cow. We say by the Korban Pesach, going back to that, that people can join the group or withdraw from the group until it gets shechted. Which means that once it gets shechted, that they can no longer join the group. But now he says the following. This is fascinating. It understands that, that this is not a local debate of how to read the verse. But how do you understand the blood of the sacrifice? Does that blood still represent the animal? So if you're saying even though the verse says it says you come with the cow. If the ox, if your response is yeah, but the blood represents the ox, that's fine to start with it. So the challenge is going to be, you mean to tell me, in all areas of halacha, you can start with the blood and consider that to be the animal itself? So if that's true, why can't I join your Korban Pesach after you shechted it? Just like it's already dead. Well, I care it's dead. You got the blood here. You haven't thrown the blood yet. It still represents the Korban. Let me join in. Okay? Vim Isaf, what you're saying is right. So Vim I should be allowed to join it until the blood is thrown because the blood still represents the answer. So he says no. Shani Hasam, there it's different. The Chsi, says, the Pasuk says that if if the numbers are too little from it being from a, a, a sheep. And from that we mean that we learn to mean you can, lim- you can lower the number of participants or raise the number of participants when it is a Seh. As long as the set, the plain word, chiyot, chiyot, a hay and a chet, as long as the sheep is alive, you can change the number of participants. Now, I would have said, what's funny is, is that that makes the Korban Pesach the exception. I would have said different. I would have said, when does the blood represent the animal? You know, the blood represents the animal when the focus is on the hakrava of the animal, on the offering of it as a korban. 
So yes, you throw the blood of the Pesach. But as we've said before, the Pesach doesn't sort of focus on the blood. At, that's not the focal point of the Pesach. So to think well, about well, when... He was in time. But yeah. But anyway, but to think about when the blood represents the animal might be different for different korbanos. Let's read one more question about this where you'll see how far the Gemara goes with the comparison. Maziv Marzutra. Ain't told him you can't do a, a pigeon of Petr Hamor of the firstborn of a donkey. Lo be'egel, not with a calf because it has to be a sheep or a, or a goat. The lo b'chaya, not with a you know, non-domesticated breed. The lo b'shkuta, or a shechted uh, sheep. The lo b'trefa, or an, uh, a sheep that has a wound, um, you know, is a trace. The lo b'kilayim, or a crossbreed. The lo b'koy, another type of a crossbreed. Ela b'set, has to be a sheep. So the question is, why can't it be with a dead sheep? Why don't we say the blood represents the thing itself? Now there, in, there it seems to be a crazy comparison, because there we're not even talking about a korban. When might I say the blood represents the animal when we're talking about the blood, the blood having weight and going to be used as a bringing of the corporal? When you bring the blood, it's like you're bringing the animal. Here we're talking about a dead sheep. Why should I think that the blood is still considered like the sheep is around? But the Gemara doesn't give that blood, answer. As long as, as long as it still has the blood, let the blood represent the sheep. So the Gemara says, no. Shani Hassam, Diyali Sesemi Pesach. No, there it's different. There it says sheep, and it says sheep by Pesach, the same way by Pesach it has to be alive, here it has to be alive. Again, what we are saying now is, this debate of whether you can pick up with the blood is not just seen as a local question of Yom Kippur, it's translated as a global question of the blood representing the animal itself, and what's particularly shocking is that the Gemara doesn't even limit that to the case of blood of a korban, what really is like bringing the life of the animal on the altar. And the thing that if you say it in by the korban, you can say it here by a dead sheep, by the pigeon of a chamor. So we will continue with this issue of the blood representing the animal tomorrow. So let's say, 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 say